Side one is calm, non-abusive, although highly fragmented. Side two is schizophrenic. We travel every Saturday. We go wherever we play and pay. Spending money we can't afford. We are the fans. We go everywhere. shipmates and welcome on board the good ship AFTN. I'm your host Michael McCall and I'm Steve Pander and you're listening to episode four of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. So we'll start by talking about the Real Salt Lake game that the Whitecaps got a point out of at the weekend. What, what were your thoughts about that Steve? Well I had a different vantage point from what I used to because I was in the stands uh, watching the game from the south section in the Curva. Um, so it was from from where I saw it, I thought the Whitecaps basically controlled the first half significantly. RSL, you know, had a, he- a chance here and there, uh, nothing to write home about. But I think in the second half, they came out uh, a little bit better after figuring out, because you know, Beckerman did leave the game. So it took them a little while maybe to figure out what they were doing. And I thought first off they started off, they got the goal, you know, I think it was 20 minutes in or so, or maybe the 75th minute, I can't remember which minute it was. It's hard to keep track when you're in the stands. But once that goal went in, uh, then I saw the Whitecaps just completely pour it on afterwards. And I think while, you know, people say the penalty might not have been deserved with with the way it came about, I thought they were deserving of a point, in, especially with the chances in the first half. Yeah, I, I didn't. When when I first saw the penalty, I was like, "Oh, that is not a penalty!" And no matter how many times I see it, I just think Borchers was was just so unlucky. But they, they played well, and they deserved at least a draw. They probably did deserve the win. And the, the worrying thing, which a lot of people are are making this point already, is we're not taking our chances, and it it can it can cost us if we don't make the most of these games that we could be winning now. If we do hit a slump in the summer, who, who knows what's going to happen? And I think we're not the only team. That's the thing. There's been so many teams that if, you're, if you've been watching the games this season, they're not finishing their chances. New York's one of them. They've just been woeful to start the season with creating so many chances and not taking them. Portland as well. And, and we're doing the same thing. Is there an easy answer to it? It's like, what, what can Martin Rennie do? What can the Whitecaps do to try and make the most of these chances that we're creating. Yeah, I, 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 it's hard to say what they can do. Like, I think they were joking that if they could, if 100 push-ups would be able to do it, he would make them do it. But the, there's no way to do it. It's just you just got to keep digging your strikes on net and hopefully some of them go in. I, I thought personally, I thought this, this year that they had better finishers in the lineup compared to other years. Like more... A wide array of finishers, not maybe, yeah. not maybe like more, you know, because I think Hasty was a pretty good finisher, but uh, I think they had more depth in the finishing side of it. It 
certainly looks like that. And I mean, today we we let Paolo Junior go, who was a guy that he he was finishing a number of chances in reserve games and in the pre-season games. Admittedly, not against top competition. But do you feel he's somebody that we should have let go just now, or is he someone that we should have kept hold of until we we find the team that's going to to be putting the ball in the net for us. I I was always perplexed about why they even picked him up in the first place. So I wasn't a huge fan of him. I, I've mentioned before that when they when they picked him up, I mentioned that I never noticed him playing. I remember he even started against the Whitecaps once in BC Place, and I never noticed him his anything he did. So I wasn't. I, I was kind of surprised they even picked him up. I personally think he was an insurance policy. Until they figured out if they had something with Hurtado and Mane, and I think now that they've seen what they those two can do, I think they don't need that insurance policy, so they can let them go and bring in something else, whether it is Abdullah or a Samson or maybe something else. Um, so I I think it was a good good you know good to get them go. People saying that he's um, impressive in the preseason. I only personally saw him impressive against Canadian universities and. Uh, or American University team, and or you know the the Charleston Battery, if he or and also FC Edmonton, I'll say give him that because he did play well in that game. But when he when he ever appeared against the MLS team, he basically was a, a non-factor. I didn't see anything he did in, against Chicago or Houston in the in Arizona. So I don't think I, I think it was basically you know I think it was time for him to go probably at this point. Yeah, when when we signed. At the start of the season, when we signed Paolo Jr. and we signed Heinemann and we signed Herzog, I was thinking all three of them I, I didn't think were good signings. I didn't understand why we'd signed them when we had Caleb Clark in the team and we had Ben Fisk waiting to come in and all these guys. But slowly and surely, they've kind of won me over. Herzog was the first guy to win me over. And I, I'm, I'm a fan of his because he's an old-fashioned poacher. I didn't think he played particularly well against Salt Lake but I also think that was because he was expected to play on his own up front. And I don't think that's a role for him. I think he would be better playing up front with someone like Mattox, like Miller, like Camillo. Someone that's going to have shots on the keeper. And then the keeper's maybe going to spill them or parry them or or something. And he's there to kind of mop up the crumbs and just like put in the rebounds. And I think he is made for that. I don't think he's made for being the sole striker that, that Rennie seems to want to play. But he he's impressed me. Heinemann, I, I just wasn't a fan of his at all. But in the last couple of reserve games and the, the few minutes that we've seen of him in, in MLS, he seems to be a handful for defences. And he actually adds something to us in the air, which we haven't had in I don't know how long. Yeah, I don't think ever we've had it. And I think... Uh... The thing about Herzog is, I, from what I saw, is that he gave Schuler fits, yeah, the, and and Schuler was grabbing him. So, and I think he was limping off at the end of the uh, when he was being sub. So maybe he picked up something early or something like that. I'm not sure, but Schuler had to tug him down, especially on the one in the first half where uh, then Camilo had that free kick where Romano just dove to stop it from hitting inside. It would have gone in uh, definitely if yeah. Romano didn't get to it, and then. Uh, Heinemann, I agree with you, Heinemann. I, those two I actually didn't have a problem with. It's, it's the Paulo Jr. one I didn't get, he, especially bringing the guys they had in there already. Yeah, see, I, I thought, like, out of the three of them, Paulo Jr. was the guy that I liked the most out of the three of them. And he's the one that's gone, and I, I'm still not sure that both Herzog and Heinemann will be with us 
by the end of the summer transfer window. I could see one of them moving on as well. But now that we have freed that gap up, do you think it's going to be Samson or Abdallah that comes in? Or do you think that Martin Rennie's maybe going to have a, a little eye on the transfer window before it closes? Because I, I think it's the first week of May off the top of my head that it's going to close. So there is a chance that he could maybe bring somebody in from from Europe if they, they, they've maybe not made the playoffs or the season's going to be finished. So there is a chance we could bring someone in. And I... We discussed this last week. I would still like to see us bringing in a centre-back because I'm not comfortable with Rusin. And in the reserve game against Salt Lake, Leverin made another mistake. And I, I'm i just I'm just not seeing it with Leverin just now. Yeah, Leverin. But the, I, I never noticed that mistake you saw. I'm not sure where it was. But the thing about the this game against uh, Salt Lake was I didn't notice him as, that much at all. So that's kind of a good thing, I think. RSL had very few chances. The strikers were... Either they were completely ineffective or they shut them down. So I, I'm not sure. I think Lebron probably had his best game against Salt Lake recently. So I think he might be getting better because against Edmonton and against some of those uh, reserve games against the universities, he actually was noticeable because, you know, with defenders, unless they're going forward, you notice when they're making a mistake. That's when you're supposed to notice them. True. So I think I think, I think think he is going to get better. I think he's probably just still getting used to turf. I don't know how much turf they play in Honduras, but... Probably not as much as they play here, obviously. Yeah, that's... like We're hoping to get an interview with him, obviously translated, because his English isn't so good, but that was one of the things I was wanting to ask him. How comfortable he is on turf, because he certainly hasn't looked it so far. But we'll see, he might come good. Who did impress you in the Salt Lake game? Who were the players that stood out for you? The obvious one is obviously Tybert. Um, he, he got man of the match. I think well-deserved, too, personally. You I, think... I, I, I think so. I, I had Camillo as my man of the match, I have to say. Well, m- my thing is with Camillo is if you're a striker and you're taking your shots, if you're not connecting on those or scoring goals, he got the goal on the penalty, but if you're not, if you, like especially the one he missed within the six-yard box or something early on that scramble where he completely like shanked it to the right, I personally, if you're not finishing your chances and you're a striker, you you lose points in in my book for man of the match. That's why I would give it to Tiber because he his his play he he found people. He rarely ever made a bad pass, and if he did, he he usually made up for it by hustling and getting the ball back. It was his pass that he you know clipped into the box over to Manny that led to the penalty. So I that's why I think Tiber was my man of the match. And other than that, I think Camila was impressive. I liked uh, what he did. Uh, just trying to think. Rio Coker, I, I liked. I liked the way he played, especially in the second half when they went to goal down. He was just. He made that one where everybody's talking about he shrugged off. It was on the right side. He was coming right towards us, and he actually was. It seemed like shrugging up people off. People were like falling by the wayside. So yeah, he he, he impressed me. The back line, I thought. Oh, I thought YP Lee bounced back big time from his road games that he didn't play well at all. So what, those. What? What did you think of for shot? It's I I, oh, I I think he had another poor game out I, there. I'm honestly not understanding what what's going on with him. I, I maybe he maybe I don't know. Maybe he had these all these poor touches before too, but we never noticed it because we everybody else was poor on that side. And now that you got guys like Kobayashi or Camilo though playing with him, maybe or in the midfield playing better, maybe he's, his mistakes are more noticeable. I'm not sure. I don't. I I think. He, especially the way Harvey played in the reserve game, I think he could 
if he wasn't injured right now with a heel issue, he would maybe get into the game or something like that. Well, he, he trained on, on Wednesday. He was looking good. He didn't seem to have that, that heel injury. I think it might be worth a shot of putting Harvey in at left back, moving Rashad into the middle. I'd initially thought moving him into the DM role that he had played last year, but Rennie just seems so so big on, on June Marcus Davidson that I, I can't see that happening. Now, of course, in the reserve game on Sunday... Sorry, the reserve game on Tuesday. I, so many reserve games. The reserve game on Tuesday against Washington Huskies. We saw Gershon Kofi playing in that defensive mid, holding midfielder role. How do you think he did? Do you think that could be how how Gershon gets back into the team? I think that's a good way for him to get back in the team. I think he still we probably have to learn that role a little bit better on protecting the, the 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 holding. But I for, for him to play that position, I think he would offer more going forward. Um, if you look at like uh, any of the chalkboards that they have on those MLS sites and everything like that, I was doing one where I was comparing uh, a game that Davidson would play and a game that Beckerman, who's, who's prototypical in what you want out of a holding midfielder. The passing is so different. Mark Davidson basically passes sideways, while you got Beckerman who, who who gets the ball up up you know forward and everything a straight line forward. So I think that's the problem I have with Davidson. It's just like he doesn't. He seems to just like pass sideways and not move the ball forward. He's not that deep line playmaker that you would need on a team. Ah, uh, it's it's a tough one because he provides such good defensive coverage when he's back there covering Lee and Rashad that I think it's now hard for him to to kind of break out and, and play that attacking role. I don't think he has it in him. I I was joking on on Saturday that. The, the whole don't cross the line campaign, he seems to have taken that to heart and it's the halfway line. He doesn't seem to want to cross that. Yeah. But then he had a couple of forays forward where he was the guy that was on the edge of the box and the ball broke to him. But he doesn't seem to have the shot to put that away. The problem I would see with, with Gershon Kofi playing that role is I don't know... You need to be physical. And he he has got a physical aspect of his game. But it's a very kind of like uncultured physical aspect almost it's like he's not someone that can control his anger and I think that could could cost us and I'm also not sure that Gershon has the kind of tactical sense just now that he can track back as well as a Davidson can and I'd be worried that he would leave himself too far up the pitch but enough of what could happen one thing which is definitely going to happen is the Whitecaps now have back-to-back games coming up against Dallas Western Conference leaders surprised many but they they don't show any signs of kind of falling away just now which Whitecaps are currently eight points behind them worst case scenario we lose these two games we're suddenly 14 points behind them and the Western Conference takes a kind of ugly turn for us when you're talking about Dallas you can't help but talk about another ugly side of the game which is their kind of penchant for diving David Ferreira's been the guy who in the past, he's got the reputation for diving a lot. Blas Perez seems to go down as as well so easily that it's kind of incredible almost. It's a worry for any team that's going to play against them. And for the Whitecaps, just how do you play against a team that's going to be diving, embellishing, going down at the slightest touch? Well, we asked Martin Rennie that. We asked Nigel Rio Coker that. And here's what they had to say. A few of the Dallas players have a reputation for going down quite easily. How do you play against that? <laughs> the same way I play all the time. You know, I'll make sure if they're going to go down, they go down for a good reason. 
A couple of Dallas players have a reputation of going down quite easily. How, yeah. how do you tell your team to go out and play against that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think hopefully the referees are starting to, you know, realise that some players do go down easily, and um, you know that has cost us a little bit against Dallas in the, in the past. So we just do our best to to not be uh, making silly challenges and um, and trust the referee to to get things right. So that was the thoughts of Martin Rennie and Nigel Rio Coker there. Brief thoughts, I know. But that was what they thought of Dallas and their divers. It's going to be a tough one. It's something that they've now got a reputation of. And it's something which we, as opposition fans, we look for it and we see it and it annoys the hell out of us. But what do you think of Dallas doing that, Steve? How can the Whitecaps play against a team like that? I think, well, the, uh, like Brittany said, I think you have to be patient. I think uh, you got to stay on your feet, know exactly when, like, be 100% sure when you're going in for the tackle that it's going to be a clean tackle. Obviously, that's very hard when the game's play, being played at such a high speed, but you, you just have, I think you have to be patient with them and not, like, give them the opportunity to get those fouls in the dangerous areas. Dallas, as we, we mentioned, they've, they've kind of they've had a fantastic start to the season. Kind of similar to Whitecaps last year in that they're they're doing everything right. Slightly more points than the Whitecaps got by doing that. And they don't show any signs that this is just a blip, that they're going to fade away. Shiva's lost at the weekend, has their bubble burst. You're not saying that with Dallas. They are looking the real deal. What what have you made of them so far this season? Well, if you look at them, and you obviously remember as well that they were closing in on the Whitecaps last season too at the end of the year. If you look at that stretch, they were they're probably one of the best teams in MLS over the last 10 games or whatever it was last season and into this season. Yeah, they, I mean, they came on so strong after their terrible start and then they just seemed to run out of steam in the last few weeks, yeah. which was fantastic for us. It's uh, And also, uh, you know, it, it could be a chemistry issue too because uh, they did uh, sell off Breck Shea. And there was always rumors around going around that he was an issue in the in the locker room, so that could have been a big thing that they did and replaced him. They're basically a team that runs through their midfield again. They, I think they, I think they even play a five man midfield or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Well, uh, Jackson's had a great season for them. He's yeah. he's been kind of running the show at times, yeah. but up front, Kenny Cooper and Blas Perez, it's just an electric striking partnership. And it's a kind of partnership that you look at and you wish the Whitecaps had two players play. Well, first of all, you wish the Whitecaps were actually playing with two strikers. Yeah. But then you you look at them and you're like, I wish we had two experienced, quality players that can put the ball in the net. And we don't have that just now, and Dallas do. And with the way that our defence has been playing, I kind of fear possibly a bit of a hammering on Saturday. And, and the thing is with the uh, Cooper, even like 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 I was saying, five man midfield, he almost plays like a withdrawn striker yeah. in a way. So he's he's picking up balls deep, and then Blas Perez he's getting it to him, and then Cooper can shoot from distance too. So that's that's a big advantage for them. And then of course they have Hasley too um, off the bench. I think he's really kind of rounding into form now. Um, he was really out of shape at the beginning of the season from what yeah. I heard. So he's gonna he's gonna even add another dimension, and obviously. Can you imagine what's going to happen here at BC Place in two weeks' time when he, you know, if he comes on as a sub? Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the the fans receive him. Obviously, a lot of the fans they're going to save their reaction and their reception from till after the game. 
but there are going to be some in the fan base that are going to give him a great reception during the game, which we can't have, but we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll cover that next week. But Hasley, he looked good in the time that he was on the pitch on Saturday against LA. And I have to say, I was kind of stunned that Dallas got that victory against LA. To me, that was their first real test as to just how good this Dallas side were. And I think they passed it with flying colours. Yeah, and the one thing about Hasley too, I want to just mention that he, in the past when he was with the Whitecaps, and I can't remember what he did with TFC, but he never did too well when it was in the heat and, and hot temperatures and everything. He would always do better up north and everything like that. So I don't know how well he's going to do when his summer goes around. So for now, I guess he's okay. But when the summer goes around, the temperature increases. I don't know if he's going to be as effective for FC Dallas at all. I don't even know if he's going to stay there in the summer because he's going to want playing time. He hasn't had much this season. And how happy is he going to be? I mean, if if Cooper and Perez play the way that they've been playing, although Perez will be... I mean, he'll be away on international duty, so then they need Hasley to step up. But Hasley's not going to be happy just being on the bench and just being the guy that comes on. At some point, he's going to want to start. And if he's not starting, he's probably going to want away. Yeah, and then, of course, he's got that his friend in Zurich, so he can always go there in the summer transfer window, so we'll see what happens. Oh, and unless Davide comes back to us, of course. Yeah, of course. That, that's never going to happen. So how do you see Saturday's game playing out? Do, do you have any hope for us? Martin Rennie and actually a few of the players uh, at training on Wednesday, it was a more sort of downbeat tone. They were playing the big underdog card. Rennie said that this was the first game of this season that he thinks the Whitecaps have gone into as underdogs. And Andy O'Brien talked about Whitecaps have just got to try and play well and hope to get the shock. Now, that doesn't sound like a team that's going down there full of confidence. It could be also like a, a reverse psychology on them too. Like they maybe lower expectations. So you, you, if something does happen, it'll make the team look even better. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I think they can pull something out. It all depends on if they play the the style that they like to play which is that the way they play usually at home or do they revert back to you know dropping everybody back and playing behind the ball i i can't see anything and apart sur- from that yeah and surviving the way they did it at that in the late game uh against fc when de guzman yeah de guzman scored yeah. that late winner so I, i'm not sure what they're going to be doing i i i think i think they could become a draw if they do play a little bit smarter. And again, the back line respects the strikers and the midfielders and plays a little bit. Don't give them enough room in the in the final third. I, I think we're going to come undone quite badly. I just can't see a scoring. And I, I really... I'd like to think it's just going to be a 2-0 defeat. I could see it being a 3-0 defeat. And I think this is going to maybe be a wake-up call for the team. And they're going to... They're going to realise that they're in for a really tough slog. And... I don't know what changes you could actually make from the squad that we've got. I think Matix is going to come in. I think he's going to start up top. He seemed to be a little bit rejuvenated when he came on as sub on on Saturday against Salt Lake. Didn't really impress me that much in the reserve game, I have to say. That was the reserve game against uh, Washington on Tuesday. He played the first half, and playing against those guys, he didn't actually look that good. But I, I think... Rennie will bring him back and he'll play the lone striker role and try and rely on his pace. Would you keep Camillo in there? Would you bring Hurtado in there? Would you bring Kofi back? Go for a more defensive team? 
What do you think? I personally, in this game, I think they should switch up their tactics and maybe even play a 4-4-2 in the diamond formation and put Kobayashi in the middle with Tybert and Kofi behind him. Uh, sorry, Tof, uh, not Kofi. Uh, Tybert and Rio Coker behind him with David. Obviously, they're probably definitely going to put Davidson, even if I don't want him in there. <laughs> they're going to put him in there. So I, I, I would. That's what I would do, uh, just to clog up the midfield a little bit because they do play quite a bit through the midfield, uh, Dallas, like most of the teams uh, in the West do. So I, that's what I would do. I would try to clog up the midfield, especially if they want to play a defensive way, um, have the uh, and play two strikers up top, and even. One of those strikers could even drop down and play a, a deeper role and even make it a five-man midfield. Are you worried just now at, at the lead that Dallas are getting over us? Um, like, Forget the other teams just now. I still, at the start of the season, I, I still felt we were going to be battling Dallas and Salt Lake for the fourth, fifth and sixth spots. When you look at the Western table just now, it kind of it almost looks like it's upside down. Especially the first two, uh, the first spot and the last spot. That definitely looks upside down. It's it's just so strange because you you've got Seattle at the bottom. I mean, they're six points adrift now. Yeah. At some point, you have to feel they're going to click and they're going to get the wins in. Then you've got fourth down to eighth. They're all on eight points. Just above in in third place is nine points, and second place has got ten points. So you're looking at seven teams separated by just two points. It is so so tight. If any team goes on a run of wins or a run of defeats, at any point between probably now, May, maybe even into June, I think what we're looking at is this is the most telling part of the season. If any team, and I'm worried about the Whitecaps here, if we go on a bad run of form, I think we could be cut adrift and our playoff hopes are going to kind of go out the window really early. I I, I personally think that every team goes through runs negative or positive I, I, I think FC Dallas is going to come back to, down to earth eventually I don't see them go, keeping this up all season long so I, I personally think that they will be coming down and um, I, I think Vancouver is still in a good position I'm not going to sell even if if they split the two games, three points for them, three points for them I think is going to be no problem I, I, I'd be very happy with that yeah. I, I would have to say but my concern is when you look below us and you see that we've got Salt Lake, we've got San Jose and we've got Seattle currently sitting below us. And I feel all three of those teams have better squads than, than we currently do. And I just, I can see them coming coming good before we come good. Yeah, you never know what about injuries as well. Anybody can get injured, they could lose a key player. Look at Gordon, he's going to get suspended for four games. Oh, Beckerman's, Beckerman's got a rib injury. Anybody can lose anybody at any time. So, and I th- I personally don't think Arsenal is that good. I think they're right now, I, I personally don't think they have the right pieces like they think they do uh, to replace the guys that they let go. They're, they're one of the teams this year that they've played brilliantly in some games and they've just played horrible in others. And... Like DC United's a, a team like that. I mean, they're struggling just now in the East, and they've they've looked so good in some of their games, and just terrible in others. And they're suffering from the same problem that the Whitecaps are just now, in that they're creating and they just can't put the ball in the net. But the, the good thing about this all round, East and West, is both conferences look like it's going to be really tight. And I think, from a fan's point of view, and from a neutral's point of view, and the chance of getting more people to come to games. It's the best thing that Major League Soccer could have 
is so many teams competing just now and so many teams you're not going to know what's happening with them and hopefully we're going to see some some crowd increases because I think the average was down a thousand from what it was last year and I've been surprised because I think the games have been better this year yeah way more entertaining than last year for sure they, they've been attacking especially at home uh, been attacking with you know more consistency so we'll see what comes out of this weekend's games and what everyone's going to be talking about next week. Past weekend's games certainly provided a lot for everyone to talk about, and that's going to bring us nicely to our new segment, Hot Topics. Topics out of week seven's action? Well, no prizes for guessing what we're going to be talking about in this section this week. And let's start with our perennial favourite moron, Alan Gordon. Yet again, acting like a moron, now facing a four game ban, and for the second week in the row, you can argue that Gordon has cost his team points, but with a stupid, absolutely ridiculous sequence of events that, that got him sent off but that sending off in itself in fact let, let's look at the sending off first what, what did you, what did you make of it do you do you think he could even have got a straight red for for that elbow on his whole vestry or do you do you feel that he didn't even really know what was going he just jumped he didn't know that Sylvester was there and his arm just caught him no I think they uh, I personally think that him and Lenhart actually know what they're doing when they do it. They make it look like they don't. Yeah. They make it look like an accident, but I think they know exactly what they're doing. So if the referee, obviously that close to the action, could notice that... Because they don't always give straight reds for elbows. It doesn't happen yeah. often unless it's vicious. So I definitely think that they they knew what was going on, and, and I think he, he he did what he needed to do and got caught doing it. But when I, when I was watching the game, initially... I wasn't really sure what Sylvester was going nuts at, and I thought he was just trying to sell it to the referee to try and get Gordon a second booking. But then as soon as the camera zooms into his face and you see his mouth bleeding, that there was no other option for the referee but, but to, to book him and ultimately send him off. From a referee's point of view, if you haven't got a clear view of the incident and there's blood, it, it's a no-brainer. He has to send him off. But I I do agree with what you say. I think... I think him and Lenhart, they do know what they're doing. I mean, they've got the name the Bash Brothers, and it's like, you, you get that for for a reason. It's like, I like players that put themselves about. I do like the physical nature that San Jose have been playing this year, but you just can't do things like that. Now, the other thing, of course, with Gordon is he's now facing a four-game ban, one game for the, the sending off, and three games for making a homophobic slur towards good old Canadian boy Will Johnson. What's your views on that? Well, I think it's... you got to question his intelligence. Being on national TV and you just got in an incident with, with, with a player, you know they're going to zoom in on you and you use that term. It's obvious people can pick it up what you said. Yeah. So it, it, you got to question the man's intelligence of whether he knew, you know, what's going on with that. Sure, sure, he could say it was in the heat of the moment, but still, there's other things you could say other than what he said, right? 
I, so, I know, and it, we don't know exactly either what the build-up to it was because it just seemed to be verbals. It didn't really seem to be anything in it. And obviously, there's no excuse for no matter what for 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 using that term, but it just seems so out of the blue. And for for all Gordon's faults, it is kind of a little bit out of character for him as well. And of course, now we've got all the oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to do work in the community. I didn't mean any offence by it. I spoke to to Robbie Rogers, all that nonsense that always gets trotted out by these guys after they've done that. But what I find hilarious in the whole incident, actually two things. One, Gordon's making comments and, and slurs towards towards Will Johnson, and he's the guy that's wearing a hairband. It's like he's a big Jesse for, for wearing that in the first place, and he's the guy that's like questioning sexuality of another player. And I liked Will Johnson's reaction. Holding up the three fingers right away, to me, you can't quite lip read what he says, but it looks like he's going three games, three games. Yeah. And Johnson knew right away that he was going to get that ban, and I, I thought that was fantastic. And then the camera focused in on on Gordon after he said it. And he, some focus saying, oh, he made a grimace, he, he knew exactly what he had done right away, he knew he'd done wrong, and he made a grimace. I didn't think that was a grimace. That was kind of like, oh, I've said something funny. He, he, he. That's kind of how it looked to me. Yeah, I don't think he realised that. Like I said, I don't think he was intelligent enough to realise the camera was going to be on him. Yeah. Like, the two people are are yapping at each other. The camera... People in TV production, they're going to focus in on those two people that just got into a scuffle. Yeah. And they're going to pick up on that no matter what. Unless you, like talk with your hand over your mouth or something like that then you're doing that's that's my people might start doing that or something like that i'm not sure because i i hadn't seen the game live and i'd heard what had happened so i i automatically assumed it was going to have been round about the the sylvestri incident um and initially i'd only watched just the, the highlights on mls live and i didn't see it so then find out when it was and then watched it all play out and it, it's just crazy totally out of the blue Actually, while we're talking about Will Johnson, what, what did you think of his goal? It was a nice goal. I wish he would do that more with Canada. Maybe maybe Dero is taking up all the shots. Maybe he can do that. I, I had no idea he could do that stuff. I, he's he's having a good surprising. season so far. It's, it has been really surprising. I still don't like the guy, though. No, I, I don't either. I, I find that he's hypocritical, like especially his comments over last year when the whole Ontario-BC thing happened, when they were playing all the games, Canadian national games, and he came on Twitter and said, well, why would you want to play on turf? You could easily injure yourself. It's the worst place to play. And then he decides to go to Portland, where it's yeah, turf. Yeah. So, uh, to me, he's, Money he's, talks. He, he's, yeah, he's hypocritical. So, uh, I still don't consider him... I know I'll probably get bashed for this, but I don't consider him a full Canadian. He's born in New York, or wherever he was born. Um, I think he's just a convenient Canadian who wants to play international football. Yeah. There's... In a way, though, it's nice that someone actually wants to play for Canada. Yeah, you got to give them that. On the true. women's team, I mean, you've got Cecilman as well. She was yeah. born in, in Green Bay, and like she's proudly Canadian. Yeah. But let's look at quickly at one of the other big talking points of the week, which was the bottling of George John. Now, when I saw the incident, I was like, because I, I, I was watching the game in full. I, hadn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so I'm watching the incident, and I'm thinking... Jesus, Dallas go down and dive even after they score themselves. And it's like, what on earth is going on here? And then the camera zooms into his head and he turns round and he's like got blood all over the place. And when you see the incident, 
it still doesn't really look like the bottle hit him in the back of the head. So I, I don't know what happened. But how stupid do you have to be in the first place to throw a bottle onto the pitch? But secondly, to do it to your own player? Absolute. Just numbskulls. Well, I think they were, he was probably aiming for it. The thing is, the question you're saying, how stupid, I think is how drunk he was he that he actually threw the thing at him. And I think he was aiming for um, an L.A. player. I think it was Maybe De, La Gar- De La Garza or something like that. I think they were mentioning on the on the site. So uh, I think it was just a matter of him missing the person oh, he was trying to hit. That I didn't know. But, I mean, I, either way, like, well, the other thing as well is I blame Dallas for even allowing bottles in. Yeah. I mean, you... In the UK, there is no way on earth you're going to get a bottle into a football match for things like that. As the Whitecaps learned, do you give football fans things they can throw, such as ponchos, they're going to throw them. Yeah. Give them glass bottles? Come on. It's at least the, the good think, thing. They've acted swiftly about yeah, it. Yeah, I think I think they might be worried that they lose half their uh, half the people that come to the games if they don't offer the yeah. glass bottles, which they, would reduce it to about ten. They, they, yeah. They got they actually got a really good crowd of over twenty thousand on on Saturday, which I was quite surprised. Oh, yeah, Galaxy, by. that's why. Yeah, Houston's crowd as well was announced at, at quite a high figure, and it, it looked empty. And that's the last thing I want to cover from from this week's action was on MLS Live highlights full match on MLSsoccer.com as well. The highlights there, it's all in Spanish. There is no English commentary. I did not know that. I don't have MLS Live, so I'm not sure. You have to speak to that. Oh, it was like, what on earth is going on there? How can you grow the game and attract neutrals and attract people to to come along to these games if you only have the games in Spanish? Was it one game or was it all the games? Just just the the Houston-Chicago game. Just in Spanish, no English commentary. And apparently, all I can take from that is no Chicago commentary either. Because at least with Chivas, you usually get the away teams doing the, the commentary on MLS Live, but that that just baffled me. The, the only thing I can think of is that maybe it, it was the game in Houston? The Chicago it was Cameron. in Houston, yeah. So maybe they were thinking that they're not getting enough Latin people to the game, so why not put the highlights in Latin? Of course, you should give the option. Yeah, yeah I mean, you have but, to. But, but maybe that's what they were thinking was that maybe attract more Latin crowd by putting the highlights in, in, in Spanish. Because you, you can get closed captioning in Spanish as well for all the games, yeah. which I accidentally clicked as well. But anyway, so that, that's that's my rant about that over. And that's the end of this week's Hot Topics as well. Let's see what this weekend's action brings us. kind of wrap up this week's show just with a a quick look at Provincial Cup action. Kicked off over the weekend, we've taken in a few games what have you liked so far? I've I've felt the games have been the ones I've been to have been very entertaining I went to the Friday night game uh, the one that was completed actually, not the one that was abandoned (laughs) I went to that one Uh, the Surrey team, Pegasus uh, they dominated for most of the game and then gave a little bit of a crack for uh, Estrellas, I think that's what we pronounce it. It says the Chile to get get back in the game, and once that happened, it was the Chile totally took over and even into extra time and won that three two. So I thought that was a very fun game to watch. 
uh, we both saw the Sarajevo yeah. game, and that was just like fireworks. It wasn't. I don't feel the quality wasn't that great, but the, it was really entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it was a B Cup game, so you're you're expecting a little bit poorer quality, but it was great. I mean, Sarajevo were running away with it. It didn't look like Reno's were going to get back into it. Then they did. Then there was a brawl, and then penalty shootout. Just it's been fantastic action. We were both at the game. We're just recording this after the Vancouver Thunderbird West Coast Selects game, which Vancouver Thunderbirds won two nothing. So there's some really, really good games coming up, and I really encourage all of you listening to this, or at least all of you in the Lower Mainland, to try and get out to some of the action this weekend. Big game on Saturday. Columbus FC VMSL winners are playing Vancouver Thunderbirds, who have two Whitecaps PDL players in Gagan DeSange and Reynolds Stewart. They're playing at 4.15 at Memorial Park South on Saturday. Fantastic game on Friday night in the B-Cup which is Sarajevo that we were talking about. They've won one of the VMSL Division 2, and they're playing another VMSL Division 2 winners, Ajao Tigers, who also won the, the B VMSL B Cup. So that's, a, I think it's a 7.30 kick-off or 7.15 at Andy Livingston Park downtown. So try and get along to that. And, and a, that game, if I might, don't mind saying that, that might have some fireworks because yeah, that there could is, be tasty. There, there is going to be some ethnic, if you want to say, bad blood. You um, could say that um, with uh, Agile Tigers being mostly a Muslim team, and then you got Sarajevo Bosnians. Yeah, and so you basically have a chance to have some fireworks because the Sarajevo team was very hot tempered, and they were kind of going off the handle against a team that was non-ethnic so there's a chance for fireworks on that one could be fun and then Sunday there's some games as well so check out the BC Soccer website check out AFTN.ca as well we're going to have lots of coverage from that as well and I just want to make one more shout out Uh, Sunday as well there will be the residency will be back in action against San Juan the game will be at UBC, so it's not going to be out in Newton. They're not going to be out in Bellingham. So there's a chance for everybody to come out to watch that one as well. They're going to be playing San Juan, who they beat 9 nothing in San Juan. The U18s did. So it could be a you know a thrashing, to a fun place to watch. Not sure if the Residency 5 will be back from Panama. I don't think they probably will. They will be back, but I don't know if they'll play. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, obviously they've helped uh, Canada qualify for the World uh, Cup for the U17. So that's a fantastic story there as well. We'll get into that down the road. That's going to be a fun game to watch. So there's plenty of live football to watch this weekend. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a goal fest for the under-18s. And who knows, maybe we can even get a 10-past goalkeeper chant instead of just a 5-past ones. But that's a 12 o'clock kickoff for the under-18s. 2.30 for the under-16s, and there's also three Provincial A-Cup games kicking off on, on Sunday as well. So try and get out to those, and you'll love it. So that's us for another episode. We're not going to do a bucket list this week. We're going to bring that back next week. Hopefully have a few more interviews as well. So thanks for listening, and good luck to the Whitecaps in Dallas on Saturday. I think you're going to need it. I've been Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. And I'm Steve Pander, and you can find me at, at WhitecapsBeat. And you can read our stuff online on Canadian Soccer News by going to aftn.ca. Thanks for listening.